This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Brought to you by Scott's. And a good Saturday morning to you, Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden. Uh, delighted once again to see Charlie Dobbin here. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Frank. It has been, what, months, uh, years, weeks? It, well, it, it feels like months, but I, I guess it's, it's been darn close to a month since I, we've uh, worked together. Really? You had holidays, I had holidays. Well, and, and then uh, last week you were off at that busker festival. That's right. You totally yeah. threw me off. I was, like, calling well, your cell phone, <clears> sending you know, out. <laughs> I listened in. I listened into the Did show, you? and I, I've got to tell you, I'm so glad I ran extra night courses for Robbie uh, <laughs> the week before, and uh, I had him over the house and training him basically on how to be a sous chef. And he was a very studious young man. He did well. He did very well, yeah. He felt that you would not like me referring to him as the sous chef, so I had to keep calling him the sous sous chef. That's right. I heard that. So. I'm I'm very pleased that the he was decorum sensitive and that, yes yeah. because we always have decorum here on the show if nothing <laughs> we else. We do, we do. <laughs> and we like to have calls too occasionally on the garden show. Yeah. Here we are at AM 740 where we play and talk nothing but the best. 416-360-0740. That is the Toronto line and anywhere else in the province toll free 1-866-740 Four seven forty, and if I haven't forgotten my little uh, mantra, <laughs> it's call early, call often. One question per call. There you go. There you go. Now you can call again. You yeah, know, of course. But just keep on calling. That's right. We're here. And, You've got it. And happy to chit-chat. And David Gaskin, our producer, is busy lining up the callers already. running around there getting yeah, things organized. He's the best. I missed him last week, too. Andre, of course, was here, and Andre's great. But, you know, last week I was just all, all a flutter. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't here. All a flutter. <laughs> That's well. me. You know, I just <laughs> lose my... My little social butterfly over there, all <laughs> Fluttering <a> flutter. away. <clears throat> okay, so a couple of updates. Actually, you know what? These updates are so far in the future, I don't know if it, if it uh, needs to be announced just yet. No. But I will tell you something. I did a quick little, I get a a weekly email from the Guelph Turfgrass Institute. A woman named Pam Charbonneau is the director. She and I went to school together. You know, back in the days of studying horticulture. And of course, what is horticulture? You're studying fruits and vegetables and flowers and trees and grass. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like turf type grass. And Pam loved turf. And I was just like... (laughs) How can you love turf? It's just a bunch of green blades of grass. Like, it's so uninteresting and so boring. But she's, she's in love with it. She loved it. Now, she's a golfer, so I think it started oh, well. with that. And and she recognized that a future in the golf course industry might not be a bad one because she loves to golf. So there she was, like, 
learning and taking all these courses in grass. And I took the one course we had to take, and I got away from grass as fast <laughs> as I could. So now she's the director of the Guelph Turf Grass Institute, and she writes, we're coming up to the ideal window to apply nematodes for grub control oh, once yeah. temperatures cool off slightly. Okay. Okay? It's been quite warm. <clears throat> so everybody pay attention to this. Make sure that the area to be treated, now where you're going to treat is where you had grubs in the past. Right. So that's where you're going to suspect you might have grubs again in the future. So make sure that the area to be treated is well watered before the nematodes are applied. Do not store the diluted nematode mixtures for more than three to four hours. So yeah, you, do your so mix. the store, buy them, and <clears throat> zoom. Well, because you add, you mix them in water. Right. So even if you can't use the nematodes the same day, you can put them in the fridge. You can hold them till you're ready to do to apply the nematodes. But once you mix your nematode eggs with water, you apply to the lawn immediately, or you know within three yeah. to four hours. So after you've um, moistened the lawn, you're now applying on an overcast, cool day or apply in the early morning or early evening and water the nematodes in as soon as possible. So it's all about right. moisture because mm-hmm. those little eggs will dry out and die. So it's got to be like cool and overcast or early or late in the day, lots of moisture. So she also says as we move to cooler, wetter weather, hopefully, it's now a good time for a shot of fertilizer. It's also a good time for core aeration, top dressing, and to plan any renovations that may be needed after one of the most stressful summers we have had. And probably your friend uh, uses her golf show- shoes to aerate the soil. <laughs> she might. Watch it. Yeah. <clears throat> she might, but honestly, though, your core aeration means actually pulling a core up out of oh, the soil, whereas golf shoes si- yes. simply cause more compaction. So you really <laughs> don't want to use your golf oh. shoes. You want to pull little plugs out. See, once again, Frank doesn't come up with the right idea. <laughs> That's okay. You have good visuals, though. You always you're, you have a great imagination. <laughs> it's, it's. I imagine it's time to, uh, well, yeah, it's uh, coming up to uh, 10 minutes after 9, our first break of the morning. And we'll be back to have a chat with our callers. Uh, already got a whole bunch of folks lined up to uh, ask questions or offer advice. Because we do accept that too, right, We Charlie? do, we do. Yeah, you bet. Okay, <laughs> back in just a moment with Charlie Dobbin and The Garden Show supply the what and where and she'll come through with the how you're listening to the am 740 garden show with charlie dobbin brought to you by scott's and uh, frank proctor the sous chef along for the ride here as we say hi to pat our first caller from grafton this morning hi good morning pat good morning morning Welcome back everybody thank, thank you. you yep go ahead dear hello yeah hello hello oh, sorry i couldn't hear you there we go um, I have a question about cherry trees. Mm-hmm. I have two. Mm-hmm. One desperately needs transplanted. The other one needs trimmed. Mm-hmm. When should I do either of the above? So the one that needs transplanting is a little tree, a young tree, a whip? No, it's probably four or five years old. It's not huge, but it needs to go. It needs a new location. Okay. Uh, when is your best time? If fall or spring, personally, I would transplant a f- cherry tree in the fall. Okay. Uh, I would prepare the spot it's going to in advance. Full yeah. sun, lots of room, cherry trees. Assuming these are sweet cherries? Uh, sour cherries. Oh, sour cherries. Okay, so they aren't going to get quite as big as sweet cherries, perhaps? Like, like Montmorency, those kinds of sour cherries, baking cherries. These are. Yes. Um, and so we expect these plants to get, ooh, maybe 16 to 20 feet tall and as wide. So you need to provide that kind of space where you're moving the, the tree to and full sun, well-drained, fertile soil. 
And like I say, just prepare the hole in advance. Uh, you'll need some strong helpers because when you lift the root ball, you want to lift as big a root ball as you possibly can and keep the soil attached to the roots in the process of moving it from one spot to the next. Okay. So depending on the, if your soil is sandy, if your soil is sandy, it tends to fall off the roots. Yes. But if your soil is quite clay, it's, it's more sticky and, and it's easier to lift a ball intact when you have a, a clay soil. Um, either way, though, I would use an old sheet or an old piece of burlap or something, get it in underneath. And instead of trying to <clears throat> lift the tree by the stem or lift it on a shovel, get two, two strong sort of helpers to pull, lift corners on a, on a square of cloth or sheet, something strong enough that you get in under the ball and lift that as intact as possible. Move it to the new location, gently put it in the hole, no deeper than it's currently growing, right? If anything, a little bit higher than it's currently growing because it's going to sink down a bit. Okay. Okay. I'm a big fan of bone meal or a plant start or a quick start starter fertilizer. Uh, you want to do this transplanting by the middle of September at the latest. So you've got a, you know next two, three weeks to do it. And, uh, and get that in the ground with some fertilizer, strictly a starter fertilizer, lots of water, a stake, and leave, leave it alone other than to water it right up until frost. Make sure, of course, it doesn't dry out uh, right up until winter. The cherry that needs trimming is, uh, happens in the early spring. So we do all our fruit tree trimming before there's any growth on the tree. It might be late March, might be early April, depends on the weather. And, uh, and it, there's an art to trimming fruit trees properly. And it's hard to describe on the radio. <laughs> uh, the proper way to trim fruit trees is so that they're open and, and wide rather than tall. And open as in air and sun being able to penetrate the canopy or the crown of the tree. And uh, the, the, like I say, it all happens well before there's any growth. Maybe an arborist would be a good idea. An arborist or a good uh, manual on fruit tree trimming. You can go to the library and pick up a book. There's great information online. Uh, but certainly... You there's a there's a certain shape that all trees all fruit trees need to be pruned to and should be done properly and of course done on a dry sunny day okay okay pat um Okay, the one that needs trimmed is just a young one, mm -hmm. but the other one is a little more mature. Yeah. Well, even early trimming is very important. So you're right. It might not be worth bringing an arborist in just yet, but certainly do some research before you get out your, your sharp pruners or your sharp loppers and go to any trimming on either of those trees. Uh, okay. yeah, do, do a little research so that you can visualize how this plant is going to grow so that the trimming you do will encourage it to grow in the direction you want it to. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pat, I, I, I'm not looking for a freebie, but... Um, <laughs> when, when, Frank's when it was, always hungry. <laughs> well, especially when you mentioned wild cherries, and then, then Charlie said, oh, pies, Baking. like your pies. Do you use that to uh, your cherries to make pies? Oh, yes, I make a wicked cherry pie. Oh, oh you devil, you. Here we go. David, Too bad I don't live closer to the studio. <laughs> yeah. well, I that's okay. one off for you. I drive, Frank, you know. <laughs> Frank's quite happy to yeah. pick up. <laughs> David Gaskin, our producer, as soon as that was mentioned, the pies, our eyes locked and ah. Yeah. Eyebrows went up. <laughs> oh, that's good. We'll enjoy the product and yeah. I'm sure. Let us know how that goes. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Okay. Uh, 918. You know what? Uh, maybe we'd best take our, uh, the next little break here. Yes, but you know what? Let me give uh, oh, yes. a few seconds of, of information. I listened to the podcast that you and Dennis did when you oh, did the show. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I did giggle. I will tell you that. You guys were pretty silly. And uh, unlike you and I, which are, you know, far more, you know, straight, straight. Just, yeah. Yeah. 
nails. Business, all business. Of course. Now, I did hear a question come up, and it was one where Dennis said, maybe we should put that over to Charlie, seeing if she can answer it. And it was a question about zucchini rotting on the vine, I Mm. believe was the question. Somebody said their zucchinis got up to being two or three inches long, and then they would just turn to mush. Mm -hmm. And Dennis said he wasn't sure. He said maybe Charlie can can, uh, answer that question. Here's the limited information I found uh, for anybody who's had that problem. It's got to do with pollination. Remember, zucchinis have both male and female flowers on the same plant. Of course, the fruits grow where the female flowers were based on pollen being transferred from the male to the female. It's insects that do that pollination. If the pollination, they call it inadequate pollination, um, when you have rotting baby squashes is a sign of inadequate pollination. So step in and do it yourself following uh, techniques um, as described in the book I'm holding. But basically what the technique is, is just with a paintbrush, uh, very, like a nice clean paintbrush, um, not like a wall painting brush, yeah, but a yeah. fine art brush, <laughs> like a little sable brush. You go in and you, the difference between the male flowers, male flowers have a long stem and then a flower, whereas female flowers are snugged right up to the vine, right at the base. So a little bit of pollen with the paintbrush uh, on a male flower, and then a little wiggle of that pollen into the female flower. Wow. And you will, should have adequate pollination, and you should get lots of fruit. Isn't that a neat little tip? Yeah. Now, you never yeah, think. You could, who, who knew? Think? Who knew? <laughs> Charlie knew. That's who knew. <laughs> it's 920, and uh, I know that we've got to take a little break here now, and then we'll be back to have a chat with Warren, who's waiting on the line very patiently. But in the meantime... Um, have you been doing your exercises of late? I have, and I'm not going to talk about um, what I've been using as part of that. I'll tell you later during all, the break. <laughs> all right. Very good. Okay. <laughs> that being said, we shall be back, Charlie and I, in just a moment. There are hundreds of sources for tips on gardening, but you need only one. The AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin continues. Brought to you by Scott's. And uh, we're delighted to uh, be with you on this lovely Saturday morning. It's a terrific-looking day out there. And uh, just listening to the Scott's uh, little comment there made me think, uh, we're going to have a special guest with us next week from Scott's talking all about funky new bird seeds that they've got in the works. Oh, great. Scott's bird seed is amazing. I tell you, the birds line up. It's like they see me with the bag, and they all start chittering amongst themselves and cheeping. And oh, here she comes. Here she comes. Here she comes. Food. I said, get out of my way. It's <laughs> they don't line up for any bird seed the way they line up for the Scots bird seed. I've actually accused Scots of putting some secret ingredient in there that <laughs> that's somehow the birds are, are like you know addicted to it or something. I don't know what it is, but man, they love Scots bird well, seed. Well, Scots, of course, famous for taking care of lawns, and that's yes. what the next question is all about. From Warren in Scarborough, the condition of his on. Hiya, Warren. How are you doing? Morning, Frank. Good. How are you? Good. Morning. Morning. Charlie. I have a grass question, not the kind people smoke. Okay. Um, <laughs> We're I okay either a, way. I have a large lot. It's 8,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. So when the, the drought was on in July, uh, there's no way I was going to try and irrigate it. I figured I'd just let it, you know, let the grass go dormant. Yeah. So now I have the dormant spots where, you know, the grass is short and brown, mm-hmm. but I also have other spots that, uh, where the grass is longer and it's laying flat like somebody sat on it. Mm. And uh, it's dark brown, and I'm just wondering what it might be. Mm. So when we started, we had a couple of good rain showers in the last three weeks. Did any of your lawn green up during the, all that rain? Uh, not those spots, no. Okay, so you have a couple of spots that... And, and, and the <clears throat> dormant spots didn't either. Well, right. No, that's my point. So you had a completely yellow lawn, then the rain came. After not the completely yellow, it's just like 
just Pale. spots all over. Oh, okay. In so it bed. never went completely dormant. You just ended up with some some areas of dormancy or yeah. death. Yeah. The fact that those haven't greened up again indicates death as opposed to dormancy, though, because we have had rain. I mean, have you had some, uh, you know, some substantial rainfall in the last three weeks on your lawn at all? Uh, once or twice, but nothing, mm-hmm. nothing really uh, to speak about. Hmm. Okay, so what could it be? Well, there's a lot of different things that could have actually killed the lawn. Chinch bugs with all the dry weather uh, have been evident across some homeowners' lawns in southern Ontario. Grubs, um, unlikely, though possible. I don't think it's grubs because I've raked the spots in the grass. Yeah, the grass doesn't come out by the roots. Right. Okay, so that's good. So that tells you the roots are intact. But the, then then we start saying, okay, what about all the diseases? There are some... some Substantial diseases that had you know had a lot of fun there with the extreme weather weather conditions that we've had things like dollar spot, things like rust um, have have certainly and dollar spot does tend to be in a round uh, dead area that gets bigger and bigger. Main thing I would do at this point if I were you is like you you've done the raking. Uh, and the reason you're doing that is to remove dead and to lift the lawn as much as you can. That's right. I did that before I cut so that, you know, Perfect. if any of it was sticking up, I would cut it off. And yep. And then what I would do now is I would fertilize. Have you fertilized at all? Uh, it'll be fertilized by my lawn service in next week, I believe. Okay. So once it's fertilized, pray for rain. Right. <laughs> uh, well, whenever. I mean, rain is going to help. Is is the lawn feel pretty um, hard when you walk on it? Uh, in spots. Where, where it's where it's brown, it's not that hard, really. Okay. It's it's, it's the same texture as the the green spots. Yeah. Okay. So, because I'm just wondering, do you have you um, is aeration part of the cultural it's practices? It's aerated already. You see, in the spring, you had it aerated. Aerated about uh, four or five weeks ago. Oh, really? Only then. So, but it would have been very dry, wasn't it, when it was aerated? Uh, yes. So was it effective? Did plugs actually come up out? Yes, I saw the plug. Oh, okay, that's good, because when it's really dry, sometimes it's hard to get the plugs. Are you on a fairly sandy soil where you are in Scarborough? Uh, it's clay. Oh, okay, so it's not sandy. So, because that's all good. I mean, clay will always hold the moisture longer. <clears throat> of course, clay it will also compact, so I'm glad you had it aerated. Always try and have the aeration done when the soil is moist, because it'll just be that much more effective. So for now, the main thing is fertilizing, as you're doing, raking and, and um, uh, mowing. And then the only other thing will be some top dressing and overseeding on the brown spots. Likely, I, sorry? Do you think I should water those spots specifically, like just go around with the hose and, and water the brown spots? You could try, but the, you would be doing that strictly to try and see if there's any life there at all, and watering once won't do that for you. You'd have to w- go around and do it over a period of a week to 10 days. Well, that's not a problem. And yeah, and just see if you can get some green happening. Right. If you can, great. If you can't, then again, it's raking, top dressing, and overseeding. And we're totally coming to the window for rain, sorry, a lawn repair. Right. Warren, you'd, you'd mentioned, uh, did I hear you correctly, 8,000 square feet? Yeah. That's a pretty large area. Yeah. Wow. But he's yeah. got areas that are brown. Yeah. Not the whole lawn. Yeah, so, no, no. So it's, but, and it's, it's kind of strange because some of the lawns around here have it and some of them don't. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. My next door neighbor doesn't have it. I've got a big park right behind me. I don't see any brown spots in the park. Yeah. So it's kind of strange. And you don't have a dog. No, I don't. No, okay. I have cats. There's cats, all kinds of cats yeah. around. Here. No, they don't hurt lawns. But they it's don't make dogs. that big a spot. No. 
And well, they don't usually use lawns for litter boxes either. Well, yeah, the flower the ones beds. around here yeah. do the wild ones. Oh, really? Yeah. They'll, yeah. Then they spray, I would think, more than anything and do damage to plants. So, okay. Well, yeah. So that, um, like I say, that's uh, it's been a bad year for diseases because of the extreme temperatures and certainly the drought didn't help at all. The fertilizer is going to make a big difference and water is going to make a big difference if you can get around and just crank some water onto those brown spots, try and rejuvenate if there's life. Otherwise, top dress and overseed. Okay, if I don't see any life, I'll, I'll overseed. Yeah. Okay. okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for your call. Have a great weekend. Yeah, and thank you. you very much. Thanks. And the same to you. 928 here at uh, AM 740. It's the Charlie Dobbin Garden Show. For those of you just newly uh, joining the gang here, uh, I'll repeat the phone numbers here. 416-360-0740. That's for Toronto area listeners. And then anywhere else in the province, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Um, I just thought of something. I was mentioning that I listened to the podcast of you and Dennis doing the Mm -hmm. show two weeks ago. Something that is often misunderstood by those of us hearing terms like podcast is that we think we need to have a machine that's some kind of a pod machine to listen to podcasts. Gosh, I have no idea where these names pod even came from. But all a podcast is, is an archive. It's it's a digital file that has been saved actually at, on iTunes, on a big server at iTunes, and anybody can listen to any podcast as long as you have a, a, a way to listen to digital files. Well, of course, computers are pretty good at that. Yeah. You do not need an iPod or any pod machinery to listen to podcasts is the good bottom point. line. Yeah. So, you know what? If you miss a show, like, you know, if you happen to have a holiday like Frank and I did and we were away from our radios and our computers for a week or two, you can always listen back to the archived shows, just go to iTunes, iTunes iTunes.com, and up in the little search corner there, plug in The Garden Show, and it'll show you all the ones that are there on the the server, and pick one and listen to it. It's wonderful. It's an easy way to to, uh, stay in touch. Neat service, and it's free. And it's free, and particularly if you've called and you didn't quite get the whole answer, and it's an opportunity to re-listen to the answer and take any notes you wanted to take. It's just, it's a wonderful way to, to sort of stay stay on top. And you feel like you're really pretty cool, too, because, you know, you're you're on iTunes. Hey, hey, there you are. Yeah. Well, and you don't need an iPod to be on iTunes <laughs> well, or to listen point, to a know. podcast. We always just assume everybody knows all that stuff, but then, no. Uh, no, I, not everybody I does. Am, I know I lots. am such a Luddite myself. I, 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 I didn't know all that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's say hi to Donna, who's calling in from Oshawa. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question for mm-hmm. Charlie. Yep. I brought home a peace lily plant from the nursery, and it was lush when I brought it home. And over the past three months, uh, leaf by leaf, the outside of the leaf turns brown and then the inner part yellow. Mm-hmm. And then I will cut off that leaf. And it'll transfer over to another leaf. So I wonder what the problem is. Okay, so um, two things. One is it's big older leaves that this is happening to, and new green leaves are continuing to come from the center of the plant. That's true. So recognize that it's not unusual for old mature leaves to finish as new leaves are coming up. The trick to peace lilies, I find, Number one, it doesn't really matter how much light you have them in. Um, it should be a bright spot, but it certainly do not, they don't have to be right in a window or anything like that. So if they're 10 feet away from a southern window or 6 feet away from a northern window, that's fine. Bright is important, but no direct sunlight is required. They take more water than you think. 
watering a peace lily, I do it based on the weight of the plant. As soon as it starts to feel a little bit light, I crank a bunch of water. Okay. And now here's the trick. The water you water your peace lilies with must be room temperature and preferably have sat out for at least 24 hours or longer. And that way you aren't adding a lot of fluoride and chlorine, et cetera, to the plant. They're very sensitive to the salts in tap water, and that's where the little edges, the black browning and blackening on the edges seems to start. Cold tap water seems to bring that out faster than anything. That answers my question. All right. Well, there you go. Now, I, I thought now uh, that <laughs> well, you, you, you're not having any problems with your neighbors. You're not warring with your neighbors or anything. <laughs> No. <laughs> no. Well, peace lilies hate that. Of course, yeah. that's why they got their name. They only go to places that are happy. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Happy so homes. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, Good. Yeah. So it's all. It's probably <laughs> the 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 more need that room temperature water and and fair amount of it, more than you would think. And all don't right. hesitate to fertilize any of your indoor plants when they're actively and and you know rapidly growing. As the days are getting shorter, everything's going to slow down. So you know, if you haven't fertilized in the last three months, you could consider fertilizing once in August, and then that's it. No more fertilizer until next spring. All right. Thank okay. you, Okay. Good stuff, Donna. Thanks Thank so you. much, Donna. It's 9.34 here at AM 740. Frank Proctor along with Charlie Dobbin, and uh, we're going to check in here now with Sharon calling in from Toronto. Good morning, Sharon. Hi. Morning. Charlie, in last fall, I brought in some cedar clippings, a few. Mm-hmm. Put them in water in a nice big vase. And I kept that water clean all winter. Kept changing. Mm-hmm. It root. They rooted. That's unusual. Uh huh. Yeah, they <laughs> rooted. I was so I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Okay. So come spring, I thought, oh my gosh. I went out. I I had some potting soil. I know it wasn't the right, but I didn't take the time to get the correct soil. Mm-hmm. And I put them in an eight-inch pot of this uh, potting soil and made sure I kept it as as uh, not packed. Mm-hmm. I put it in the garden under other cedar hedges. Mm-hmm. And all summer it stayed, and I kept uh, watering, and that's about it. And um, it looked beautiful in the pot. Mm-hmm. So uh, this week I took it out of that pot and to put it in a bigger pot, because it was tiny, and I couldn't believe the roots were thicker. Mm-hmm. They were just great. And how many different cuttings were in that pot? Well, there was about four. Okay. So, and a, a massive roots at this point. So you yeah, li- lots of roots. So, so you lift it out of the eight-inch pot, and there, all those four cuttings are yeah. all rooted together. Oh, they're all they're the roots rooted are tangled. Together and they're yeah. thicker roots. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. now I'm wondering, what do I do with this little thing come winter? Well, what's your plan? Are you hoping to extend the cedar hedge or start a new hedge? Yeah, well, I yeah, I can. There's some, oh, it's an old hedge, mm-hmm. and um, I could use this if I get it to mature. Well, I mean, what you've done so far is amazing. Let me I say know, that. I know, I can't believe it. Yeah, try it again this well, fall. Of all the times to even try to get something to root, winter is usually the worst time mm-hmm. because plants are really slowed down. And, of course, a cedar from outside is even more slowed down because yeah. it wants to go to sleep for the winter and you're bringing it into your house where it's well, warm. Well, should you bring it into the house? Well, not really, but it worked last time. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, what you did flies in the face of, of you know, all logic and all mm-hmm. the, of the right ways to do it, and yet it worked. So yeah. I think you've got some a winning system there. You should probably well, it, it, run it, with it. It's, it'd be better for me to bring it in, keep it in a cool area near light. <laughs> 
Yes. And uh, don't chance it by leaving it outside in the garage or something. Okay, well, going back to that pot that you got, what yeah. I would be starting with right now is saying, well, why not leave it outside for the winter? It's, if anything, why not separate? Leave it outside in the, for the winter? Well, yeah. I mean, two, two things. One is you could separate those cuttings all out into individual plants and mm-hmm. plant them in the garden where you want them to actually grow. Right you, now? Yeah. And if you say, well, yeah, but that's, uh, they're so small, they're going to get run over by the lawnmower yeah. or stepped on by the, the newspaper uh, delivery people, yep. then you say, okay, how about leave them in the 8-inch pot you've got them in now? Or no, you moved them up, you said, to a bigger pot. You're yeah, up, just a bit bigger, yeah. So you're up to about a 10-inch pot now. Yeah. What I would do then is find a spot in the garden where you've had some annuals or something growing this summer, mm-hmm. which will be empty over the winter. Mm-hmm. So it could have been a place where vegetables were or, or annual flowers. Mm-hmm. As once frost happens and that annual plant dies, mm-hmm. take your pot of your little pot of cedars, mm-hmm. dig a hole and bury that pot of cedars into the garden where there's room, where nothing okay. else is currently growing and nothing will be growing all winter. Mm-hmm. Let uh, tamp it all sort of down firmly. You know, sink the pot right under the soil. And you know you don't need to use your leave foot. Leave it right in the pot. And put yep. the pot. Yep. Put right the in pot, the pot. In, and you know don't use your feet to press it down, no. but just with your hands, you know, firm the soil all around the pot. Okay. Continue to water as you have been, mm-hmm. and as winter comes, remember we always want to make sure that the soil is very damp around our evergreens. Yeah. So just as you're watering, you know, before you put the hose away in November or December. Okay. Water that little pot. It's in the garden there. Just remember to with your watering can or whatever, mm-hmm. keep watering that area and just let it be. Snow will fall on it in the winter it's all good okay uh, tr- don't be don't be shoveling the driveway onto no, it because of no. course that's salty soil. I'll put in a, pr- so, in, in a protective area yeah spot and it's good to have it's great to have some snow on it snow is a wonderful winter blanket for plants outdoors and yeah. cedars love it and uh, and then come spring mm-hmm. everything will thaw pop the, the pot out of the ground mm-hmm. and perhaps continue to do what you did this summer or perhaps by that time you'll be ready to actually get those plants into their final location yeah okay all right Okay, thank you. And congratulations. Sounds like you pulled off a real uh, unusual thing there. Uh, What a trick that is, I tell you. Good stuff. Okay. Thanks, thanks, Thanks for your call. And uh, our time is at uh, 9.39. Let's let's take a little break here, Charlie, because we have a couple other folks. And did you want to add a point here as well? No, Frank. I just wanted to say you're doing a fine job. I'm really glad you're back. I (laughs) I loved Robbie, but, you know, I missed you. Well, thank you. And that'll be $10 I'll be delivering to you uh, a little later on. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And we're going to be back and have a chat with uh, a lady from, uh, I believe, a lady from Barry, Delane. I've never heard that name before, Delane. It's actually Barry from Delane. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, stop that. You're getting me in trouble. Uh, Back after these words on AM740. Friends say she's down to earth, and that's usually where you'll find her. Welcome back to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, brought to you by Scott's. And Frank Proctor welcoming Delane from Barry. Have I pronounced your name pr- uh, correctly? Uh, yes, you have, Frank. Okay. And, and shame on you, Frank. You have forgotten me. I I wrote a letter to you of, about my 35-year-old plant. So it's a oh, so. my <laughs> gosh. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. Oh, hi, Delane. Didn't mean to make fun of your name. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how Thanks, it's spelled, I, I really have never heard that name, but D-A... Yeah, you uh, have heard. You D- don't remember. Well, yes, no. And, you know, what does Dave know? Name. He spells phonetically anyway. <laughs> 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 okay, what's your problem? Well, I had to dig up five of my rose trees of Sharon last year, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they spent the winter in pots. Uh, I had my husband replant them out in the yard, 
the branches don't have anything on them, but they are not brittle, so that it didn't seem dead. And I'm just wondering uh, if they, because they're obviously not going to do anything this year except for one, and it seems to be shooting up little shoots from the bottom. Hmm. So I don't know whether that's where they start from because I'm not that good on rows of share and plants. Okay, so Delaine, when they spent the winter in pots, were the pot, where were the pots? Oh, outside and sit under six feet of snow. So just sitting out on the patio and, or the deck or whatever, and then no, the snow out fell. Out in the yard. Out in the yard, just sitting out in the, on top of the garden or the lawn or whatever. Yeah. Okay. By the sounds of it, okay, there's no question Rose of Sharon are one of the last plants to break dormancy in the spring. So it is often early summer by the time the green leaves expand, like the little green buds expand into leaves. If you, all five of them, show no green leaves at all, Excuse me one second. <coughs> I have a tickle in my throat. Um, if there's no green leaves on any of them, and but one of them is showing green from the bottom, then that one is still alive in the sense that the root is alive and it is growing from the root. All you can do now is cut all five of them down, keep obviously the one that's got green growth because mm-hmm. that one's clearly alive, mm-hmm. and see if anything comes off the other four. It may not, because it's so late in the season now. You may not see any growth off the root. They, those other four may be completely dead. But the one is clearly alive, and that's the only thing you can do, like I say, is cut off. what It might not be brittle, but it is not growing. So yeah. cut it off. That will encourage new growth to continue to grow. If you want to make it a tree, of course, you're going to have to just choose one stem. A few stems may come from the base. You're going to have to regrow it into a tree or let it be a shrub. I mean, it can be a multi-stemmed shrub or a single stem tree. I was told that sometimes the, the, what happens is they won't come up the first year, but they would the second, but I'm just not sure if that... Well, that's why I wouldn't give up and stick them in the composter yet. Okay. But it's unlikely that they would have stayed dormant all last winter, all spring, and all summer, and then stay dormant, you know, continue another full season of winter, and then suddenly start growing next spring. Oh, <clears throat> the best way to have any plant survive the winter when it's in a pot is underground. So always, always bury your pots in under the soil, if you can, over the winter. Oh, I just the winter. right out of the pots and put them in the... But I mean, in the wintertime. So they were in pots above ground, you said, and that's, they are a zone five plant, and in Barry you are on the cusp of zone five. Right. So before all that six feet of snow fell, if the temperatures were fairly cold, which I'm sure they were, the plants can die because the roots are very exposed, sitting up above ground, even in pots. Right. And so that's the, that can kill plants. As soon as it gets down 10, 15, 20 below zero, any plants above ground in pots, typically the root can't su- can't uh, support that coldness above ground like that, and, and the plants die. Oh, I see. All right, and that's part of it too. Rose of Sharon is it, with a zone two plant, like a potentilla. You might have pulled it off, but not with Rose of Sharon. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Delaine. Good luck with bye. that. Bye bye now. Bye-bye. Nice touching bases with you again. It's nine forty six, and you are listening to AM seven forty here in Toronto. It's the Charlie Dobbin Garden Show, and we say hi and good morning to Wendy now from Aurelia. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. How are you this morning? We're wonderful. Well, that's good. Um, the reason for my call is that uh, we have a mandevilla, mm-hmm. which is in a pot about a. 12 to 15 inch pot. She has bloomed uh, magnificently all summer with about 150 blooms sometimes at one time on it. Wow. Yes, and we're just wondering how we are going to winter this plant. Well, do you go away in the winter or do you stay? 
You're here. here. All right. So uh, it is a tropical plant, as you recognize. Yes. If you want to keep that plant alive, it must come into your home. Okay. Do you have a nice, big, bright, sunny window facing south or west? Um, actually, not too much, but we can likely accommodate um, in the south window. Okay. So in, there are two ways to keep plants like that alive over the winter. One is by um, bringing it in and treating it as a regular house plant, meaning w- lots of sun, water as required, and, and keep it living. It won't be thriving and flowering like crazy, but it will stay alive right okay. before your eyes. The right. other way that sometimes people are successful is they'll bring a plant in like that and actually put it in the dark oh. and only water yeah, once a month. Oh. So the idea is that you put it into a dormant or semi-dormant state by putting it into the dark okay. and you water it strictly to keep it alive. Oh, okay. And of course, it, it could be in a cool basement. It could be in an unheated guest bedroom. The main thing is, is that it's, it's cool. It's dark, you know, or, or semi-dark. It doesn't yeah. have to be pitch black, but you know what I'm saying. No, yeah. no need for, for big sunny windows okay. and water it about once a month. When you do want to get it to start growing again, all it is is a matter of introducing it into a bright, sunny spot, and you'll start watering a lot more, and you'll, at that point, probably do a lot of trimming, because all the tips will be dead, but the main plant will still be alive. The main root, the crown, will still be alive. Oh, okay. So, as far as trimming back, uh, if we do trim, do we trim... Well, to, now, or did we just put it into that dormant state and then trim? Well, it's probably covered in flowers and buds yes, right now. So, <laughs> and oh, the yeah. last thing you want to do is a lot of trimming because you're going to take all that off. Yes. Um, and the other thing is, though, it's also probably twined all around something out on your your deck somewhere, a, a, an arbor or a, or a trellis or something. It has a yeah, it has a trellis, but it keeps sending the tendrils towards the sun, of course, which mm-hmm. is the opposite direction of. Where the chalice is. So to bring it in, because they are really, you know, rapid growers and they're usually very happy and beautiful, we have to do some trimming just to get them through the door. Oh, okay. So that is kind of right away sort of a no-brainer. If you're going to keep it in a bright, sunny spot in your living room, for example, you're going to find that the light levels are so much lower, even in a bright, sunny spot from what was outside, you're going to end up with some death and some, some mature leaves dropping and some buds dropping and all that sort of thing. Yes. Humidity will be important because you'll need to mist the plant. It is tropical. It wants a higher humidity than our homes usually have. Yes. So it's a little more work to keep it alive in that bright sunny spot all winter. Oh, okay. But you then again, you're going to enjoy a lot more flowers. You're going right. to see flowers right through October and November, probably. Wow. Oh, wow. So that's sort of, it's, it's more a question of what works for you in terms of your lifestyle. Either way, you're going to do some trimming, and then at some point you're going to even do some radical trimming. And the radical trimming, you can wait till March. But, uh, till March. You're, yeah, okay. you're going to need to do some trimming just to get it in the door, I'm sure. Yes. More than likely. <laughs> and, and don't forget, of course, you want to try and leave all the bugs outside, too. So uh, Yes. <laughs> a soap and water spray, thorough spraying uh, when okay. the sun is not shining on it. Okay. Uh, and then I'll even do a soap and water drench of the soil uh, at the same time, and then a thorough clean water uh, so, you know, um, rinse. Oh, okay. Well, okay. that sounds like a beautiful plant. Though, They're great. Right? Oh, it is. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Is it pink or red? It's red. It's red, so it's got the shiny leaves. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yes. they're really, really nice. They, yes. And you pay quite a lot of money for them. So if yes. you can keep them alive, not only you know, obviously are you saving not having to buy that plant again, but it's even bigger and better next year. 
Yes, that's mm-hmm. what we're looking forward yeah. to. So, well, well give us a call you. in the spring. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, Let us whenever know how that you works. Get it back out. Okay, <laughs> okay. I will do. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. Charlie, that. thanks. Bye. Okay, bye-bye bye bye now. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here and get back to our calls. Gosh, some really interesting questions this morning. Huh? Yeah, always, all, always. Always, all righty. Every week, we just got all kinds of great questions. <laughs> well, all righty, uh, we'll get back to those questions in just a moment. You supply the what and where, and she'll come through with the how. You're listening to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, brought to you by Scott's. And Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, here welcoming Lena from Toronto to the line. Good morning, Lena. Good morning. Morning. Can I have a, a question for Shirley? Sure, go ahead. Yes. I have, uh, Shirley, I have a tomato, they're ripe, but at the bottom they're all brand, um, brand spot. Uh-huh, I that... would like to know, because it's most every year, before, before not that much, but lately, two, three years in a row, they have those brand spots, okay. and they're ripe at the top, yep. at the bottom they're, they're rotten. Here's my question. Have, have you been uh, moving your tomatoes, or do you keep planting in the same spot uh, every year? No, we moved it. We moved it. Okay. All right. So what you've got is something called blossom end rot. Blossom end rot is when the bottom or the you know, the base of the tomato, it's a, like a, almost like a discoloration. It looks like water staining. And then you realize it's quite rotten and then the tomato doesn't taste very good either. So how do you avoid that in the future? A couple of things. Balanced fertilizer, so a fertilizer for tomatoes will have all the essential nutrients, including the very important calcium in the fertilizer that you will use consistently throughout the growing season. Tomatoes are what we call heavy feeders, so we try to put them into a very good quality soil, a nice fertile soil, preferably with lots of manure or um, compost and, you know, like I say, lots of organic matter in the soil, and then consistent watering and fertilizing through the growing season means you can avoid that blossom end rot at the end of the season. So it could be that you haven't watered consistently. It could be a lack of fertilizer. It could be that the soil is is lacking in nutrients. So do what you can to really pump up the soil next year where you're going to plant the tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And do pay attention to consistent watering and consistent fertilizing. So... That means I uh, need more fertilizer because my husband, he only put a little bit of fertilizer and a little bit of manure. Okay. So, so probably he doesn't put enough of fertilizer? Uh, yeah, I would start with a little more manure in the spring. Okay. And then I would start doing consistent fertilizing. It might be every two to three weeks that you'll fertilize with a tomato food, you know, something you've mixed with water and you're sprinkling on the soil and around the, the plant. Around the plant, yeah. Yeah, yeah and um, follow the instructions on the fertilizer. You can always err on the side of mixing more water than fertilizer into your mix if you're worried about over fertilizing mm-hmm. but it is important to keep consistent moisture and consistent fertilizer available to tomato plants right through the season oh so i see fertilizer right through the season yeah, because yeah. we only fertilize the ones at the beginning yeah. when we plant it and then we don't put anything else yes yeah i like to use uh, like a starter fertilizer when i first plant anything including my vegetables and then i start into some consistent fertilizing with the appropriate fertilizer in the case of tomatoes it's it's pretty specific there's tomato food out there and it's worth using okay right. is that safe enough yep yep it's absolutely the right thing to do and then you'll avoid that blossom end rot next year 
Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, Lena. Hope Thanks, that helps. Lena. And thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, okay, bye-bye now. Yeah, we've uh, had a few Blossom End Rot uh, calls this uh, summer. Yeah, and that's a very a apt name, isn't it? Yeah. Blossom End Rot. There yeah. you go. Uh, where the Blossom End <laughs> rots, which is where exactly. the flower was, right? Well, here comes a subject that is you, near and dear to, to my your heart. heart. I knew yes. you were say that. <laughs> Joe in Toronto has uh, some creeping Charlies. I got one here, too, as yeah. a matter of fact. Joe, <laughs> hi. How are you doing this morning? Very good. How are you? Good. Morning, Joe. Morning, Charlie. I've got uh, creepy Charlie in my backyard, and it's just taking over like crazy. Mm, in your lawn? In my lawn. <laughs> and, well, it's going to go wherever it wants. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, as with any broad-leafed weed in our lawns, there's a couple of options. One is hands and knees pulling out the weeds. A lot of work when it comes to those creeping right. ones. You leave a little bit of root, a little bit of stem behind, and it just regrows. But it's, you know, it's an ongoing thing. I'm, I'm a big fan of pulling weeds, but I always do it with a bottle of wine in one hand. And, <laughs> and my, my oh, That's where we get the term dig, creeping, Charlie. <laughs> Digging tools in the <laughs> other hand. So there's that system. The other thing is there, um, uh, okay, what's it called? Uh, weed Be Gone. Weed Be Gone right. is a... It's completely legal in Ontario. It is an iron-based. It's a very high concentration of iron. It can be used to control broad-leafed weeds in your lawn. But follow the instructions. The younger the plant, the more successful you're going to be. As we get later and the plants are more mature and the, you know, the roots are more mature, you may not be 100% successful, but even if you can slow down the growth of that plant or kill some of the plants, the younger ones, then right. you're in a better position to annihilate the rest of them next spring because it, they will survive the winter. Right. You want to avoid any flowers because you want to avoid any seeding and spreading of this plant. So it's best to do it in the late fall then? No, best to, to get some of that weed be gone now. Follow okay. the instructions, use it as, as it's recommended on the, the container, but keep in mind you're very likely to have to continue using it next spring in order to eradicate the weed entirely. Okay, I used to use that uh, weed and feed, and that slowed it down, mm-hmm. but it never really got rid of it. Right, and of course, weed and feed was using 2,4-D as the herbicide, which we no longer have right. available to us, right. and 2,4-D was exactly the same, that when the plants are young, the leaves are still soft and immature and the roots are shallow, you'll always be more effective with your herbicides than later in the season when the leaves are have a much stronger, what we call a cuticle, uh, and it can repel the herb- herbicides more effectively. So that's why whether it's 2,4-D, you know, weed and feed, or it's bug, um, weed be gone, early in the spring you're going to be most effective. Okay, one okay. other question. When... Um when you're down you know, I'm sorry, and... we, we don't have time for that, Joe. I'm sorry, we're, we're fresh at a racetrack here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, Joe. Maybe next week. Yeah, if okay. you can give us a call next week Great. on that, okay? Thanks for taking my call. Thank you, you very much. Appreciate and it. And then there's that mantra. Yes. Call early. Call often. One question. Per call. There you are. Hey, I, the dancing duet. Yes, Dave's Corner Garage. You just put the, uh, the door up that. there. Dave yep. Rediger and yep. Alan Gelman are in. Yep, they're out So there. they're all set to go. They are, they. and we're, we're going to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off uh, in all this beautiful sunny weather. I'm off to uh, see some clients. 
and uh, and then I'm going home to harvest some tomatoes. Well, we yeah. expect a few little gifts from the garden again next week. I think you might week. want hmm, something, wouldn't you? Yes, yes. you're always hungry. Our thanks to <laughs> our David Gaskin, our producer, always a, a great job and uh, always fun to uh, do the show with you, Charlie. Exactly, and thank you so much, Frank. And like I say, really nice to have you back. Well, thank you. And I'll see the folks again at 11 o'clock this morning. All right, see you next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.